What's up, Jordan? How you doing, man? How's things going? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, can't complain. I'm actually going to start doing some games again here in the next couple of weeks. Like actually calling athletic events, not just talking to you over Zoom on a podcast. Yeah, I haven't called a game in like over a year. Yeah, what do you think that's, uh, that's going to be like? I had to get adjusted to a little bit of, of getting back in the swing of things after the long break. Just make sure you have a lot of lozenges and maybe some tea available because you got to kind of build the voice back up, as they say. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I'm a little, I'm a little nervous, not going to lie. That, uh, you know, the, it's been out of, so it's either going to be really well rested or just completely out of shape, my voice. So we'll, we're going to find out here soon. Uh, yeah, what are you going to be on here in the uh, upcoming week? Yeah, uh, next week, Tuesday, the 20th is uh, my first game. We got some some ILH volleyball boys and girls. Um, and the following week, I got to do like three days in a row. The Ooh, OIA is going to actually start doing some athletic events. They're going to be playing boys volleyball uh, as well as softball and baseball. So I got some of the baseball, some of the volleyball matches. Uh, so it's going to be like a really busy three weeks um, you know, they're kind of jam packing some schedules in there. It, it's, it's better than nothing. Obviously these kids have, uh, have kind of lost out on so much. So it's going to be fun. I, I'm really excited to get back to it and, and see these kids in action, all, all high school stuff uh, over the next basically four weeks uh, before the summer hits. It's really cool and, and good for the players and uh, uh, good for the uh, TV viewers that Jordan Helly is once again going to be on the headset. So looking forward to that. Let's start this episode with our pregame as we like to do a little warm up topic. Edelman retirement, three time Super Bowl champ and Patriots slot back staple Julian Edelman has retired after 12 years. Now that prompted a glowing send off from none other than Patriots head coach Bill Belichick. The popular question now, though, has become, is Edelman a Hall of Famer? And this is an interesting question because his postseason numbers are terrific. In big moments, in big games in the postseason, he was fantastic. But when you include the regular season and his regular season numbers, there are a lot of guys who are in front of him, a lot of guys who are in front of him statistically by a long shot that are not in the Hall of Fame. Heinz Ward would be one of them. I mean, you can even look at a guy like Emmanuel Sanders who played uh, that position for the majority of his career, and his numbers overall are better than Julian Edelman. You look at a guy like Wes Welker, who was basically Julian Edelman 1.0. He had, more or less, generally speaking, better numbers than Julian Edelman. But the postseason is what we are always told matters the most, and that's the money time. So, Jordan, is Julian Edelman... A Hall of Famer, in your opinion? No, I don't, I don't think he is. And we get always caught up in this, right? Is it is it not enough to just enjoy a guy who had a great career without having to get into the, the Hall of Fame debate, right? And each sport is a little different in terms of the threshold, like how hard it is to get into the Hall of Fame. Like if this were the NBA, Julian Edelman would be like a first ballot Hall of Famer because they let everybody in in basketball. Uh, a little different in football and baseball. You brought up some of those names, right? There are a lot. He's 156th all time in receiving yards. He never had a, um, a season where he averaged 100 yards a game. And he's, he has 3,000 yard seasons. That's it. And now, don't get me wrong, there were a couple of those Super Bowl runs where he was spectacular. You know, 2018, he averaged like 130 yards a game in the playoffs. But I mean, he's got 36 career regular season touchdowns. Randy Moss had 23 in a season once. He was uber consistent. He was really good at what he did, right? That inside slot receiver, one of the best in the game during his time. Uh, but you're right. There, there are a number of names, number of names. Greg Jennings. I mean, all these guys, you, you named some of the, the more recent contemporaries and whatnot. But 
I mean, it, he's got 6,000-something career receiving yards. It's not even close to 10,000, which would maybe get him into the top 100 even. Um, so, no, I, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I don't think that's a knock against him. He's got three Super Bowl rings. He was amazing throughout his career. He upped it during the Super Bowl or during the playoffs, including Super Bowl runs, was a Super Bowl MVP. Is that not enough? Like, does he, does he have to be a Hall of Famer? I mean, I think you got to get in line, right? So a guy like Heinz Ward, who I mentioned, has 380 more catches, 49 more touchdowns, four Pro Bowls to Edelman's none, by the way, uh, three second-team All-Pro selections to Edelman's none. Now, Ward wasn't exactly a postseason slouch either. He got a Super Bowl MVP, but he's not in. And so if he's not in, there's no way you can justify Julian Edelman based on recency bias or anything else to get in. It's just, it's, that's just the reality of the situation. And you can have those great moments in the postseason. You, you can be part of Patriots lore. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that correlates to a Hall of Fame career. I would liken it, and this might not be the, the greatest of comparisons, but I would liken it in basketball to a guy like, say, Derek Fisher, right? Or even Robert Ory, right? Where it's like they had some really tremendous moments, 0.4 against the Spurs. As a Spurs fan, I'll never forget Derek Fisher hitting that shot. Robert Ory and all those clutch threes. But that doesn't necessarily parlay into a Hall of Fame career. And as you alluded to, I think that's okay. Like, I think it's all right. Julian Edelman's legacy will be intact, even if he doesn't have one of those uh, commencement ceremony speeches uh, for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. All right, and we officially welcome everybody to the show. This is episode 65, I believe, and we're doing it in style because we have the superstar opposite hitter for the UH men's volleyball team, number one ranked in the land, Rado Parapuna from Sofia, Bulgaria, joining us on the brink of what is going to be a senior night, a senior night that is going to be non-traditional because fans are still not being allowed into Simplify Arena at Stan Sheriff Center, but a pair of matches against UC Irvine at home for Hawaii, and on Saturday night, it will be senior night. And so the symbolic aloha for the likes of Rado Parapunov, Colton Cowell, Pat Gasman, Gage Worsley, who is still a junior in standing. You have Jackson Van Ekren, who's been around the program for some years. And you also have James Anastasiadis, who ended his playing career last year, is still with the team as a student assistant. And so we're talking with Rado today, and I uh, must say, uh, very excited to be uh, chatting it up with a guy who has just been a phenomenal talent, maybe going down as one of, if not the best to ever put on the Hawaii uniform. Fun to root for, easy to root for. Like it, it, he's such a positive dude, right? And, and, and I think that comes across in the interview and how much he has enjoyed his time in Hawaii. Uh, really fun conversation. I think folks will get to listen in on. Yeah, two-time All-American and his numbers this year are just ridiculous. Almost four and a half kills per set, hitting 357 on the year. He's also second on the team in digs uh, and also leads the team in aces. So, uh, hey, whatever you need, Rado provides. All right, but before we do that, let's get to our game time set of topics. And we start with transfer madness. Oh, yes. So it officially begins. The NCAA made it official today, adopting a measure that will allow athletes in all sports to transfer once in their careers without penalty. So they won't have to redshirt upon transferring to a new location at least one time. 
Latest numbers have around 1,400 Division I men's basketball players in the so-called transfer portal. Obviously, the University of Hawaii men's team impacted greatly by a lot of players who entered the transfer portal, and they have some players coming in as transfers, which we'll get to in a moment as well. So the question, and this is a very broad, general question that has a lot of layers to it, is this good or bad for the college game, Jordan, and are you or are you not in support of this decision by the NCAA, which has yet to be officially ratified, but is expected to be uh, at the end of the month and likely put into effect as soon as this upcoming athletic season in the fall? Yeah, I think it's the NCAA trying to adapt to the times. That's for sure. Uh, I don't love how much movement there is. You know, you mentioned that many guys in the transfer portal and, and not all of them will end up changing schools, but that that's a lot. That's a lot of kids. It's a high percentage of all the collegiate basketball players playing division one basketball. But I, I do think, right. Kids should have the right to change schools. Kids should have the opportunity to move out of a situation. They did what wasn't what they thought it was going to be or, or as they look for a better situation, much like coaches can, right. As, as long as we're going to allow coaches to move freely with no penalty, from school to school, it's kind of hard to say that kids aren't allowed to do the same thing. And, and I, I'm, a, I, I'm actually kind of a fan of the, the one-time transfer, no caveats, right? Because then, okay, we're, we're, sort of, we're sort of codifying what has already gone on, right? So many of these guys are transferring and playing immediately all the different ways and loopholes you can get in. And now it's kind of no questions asked. Hey, if you want to go to a new school, you want to play right away, you can't. And now I think, you know, maybe there's a little bit of cleaning up to do on the back end. Now say you transfer a second time, right? Can they be a little more strict there? Is that sort of fair and equitable? I think that's something that they need to, to really explore and, and look at. But the, the one-time transfer, I don't think it's really that bad. And I, and I think it kind of cleans things up and, and sort of just uh, allows what already is, is happening in so many places, you know, really around the country. And really no program is immune to, no matter what level you're at. It makes for a chaotic situation, right? It will, as many people have suggested, become sort of the, the wild, wild west when it comes to transfers. But isn't it already kind of like that when it comes to recruits? Like the high school recruiting process is already very much like that. And I, I think the, the difficult part is it makes the job of coaching and running a program harder. Like it just does. That's a reality of the situation. It is not ideal if you are a head coach of a program knowing that all of the players in your program will have that opportunity to move on if appropriate for their careers or in their own best interests. Uh, but I do think that by principle alone, that is something that needs to be made available to the student athletes, right? We always make this comparison where coaches in college sports have the freedom to maneuver in just about every which way, right? Uh, and so I think if you allow that kind of freedom of latitude at the coaching level, then it only makes sense. It is only just and right to allow this labor force of this multi-billion dollar industry to sort of have some of that latitude as well. Does it make the coaching job more difficult? Oh, yes, it does. Oh, yes, it absolutely does. But I think knowing this rule and sort of having it as a uniform standard, it now at least gets applied to the expectation. Like you want to go into coaching, you want to run a program, this now comes with the territory. And unfortunately, player retainment, uh, unfortunately, re-recruiting of players in your program, that's going to be part of what comes with the job now. So is it ideal? There's an argument to be made maybe 
regarding players transferring to programs within the same conference. Uh, but that said, uh, I do not begrudge a student athlete for trying to go in a certain direction to embark on their college career and then making the decision, you know what, this isn't the best for me. Uh, maybe there's a coaching change. Maybe there's an atmospheric change. Maybe I just want something else for me. and want to try something new. I think they are well within their rights to do that uh, without penalty at least one time. I don't think that's unreasonable as difficult an endeavor that will now become for the respective coaches throughout the college landscape. Yeah, I, I agree. And the other thing to, to consider in all of that, you know, you, you say it makes it difficult for coaches, and, and I agree, but they get paid the big bucks, right, in a lot of places to do that. But the, the thing to consider, even though guys can leave after a year now, basically, or at any point, the, the same goes with scholarships, right? And it's been the case for a long, long time. Those scholarship agreements are yearly. Nobody has, nobody gives out four-year scholarships. And so coaches can pull a scholarship at any time, basically. And it's a little rarer, obviously, and happens on a, a less frequent basis than 1,400 guys entering the transfer portal. But it, it, on both ends of the, the equation, it, it's a year-to-year -year agreement, basically. It's not ideal, don't get me wrong, but it, I think it is fairer that way, right? If, if you're going to give out – if you give out four-year scholarships, that's a different story. Um, but that's not, how the, that's not how the system works. All right, so we move on to a program that is going to be directly impacted by transfers, both outgoing and incoming, and that's the University of Hawaii men's program. They made the announcement of three signings here this week. The return of Samuta Avea, who publicly announced that he was returning to the program after opting out last season. There were also rumors swirling that Drew Bugs, who transferred to Missouri last season, might return to Manoa for his last year of eligibility, although no official announcement, at least at the time of this recording, has yet been made. Uh, so held up against the multiple players that have left the program this offseason, uh, including guys who still had a year of eligibility if they wanted it, but were seniors in standing like Kasdan Jardine, James Jean Marie, Justin Webster was an underclassman who decided to move on. Is UH a net positive or a net negative in terms of personnel, in your opinion? Hard to tell with the incoming guys because that's just on paper, right? But Samuta's coming back. Maybe Drew Bugs. Where do you think this leaves the UH program? I mean, if you if you look at just the the new guys, right? I, I think it's it's almost net neutral in a lot of ways. You know, you know, Jerome DeRosier, the transfer out of Princeton, uh, Brock Hefner, the freshman high school signee out of Wisconsin. Those guys kind of replicate what you lost, right? They're sort of tweeners, six foot seven, inside outside forwards, much like Kasdan Jardine and uh, James Jean Marie. So you know, maybe maybe the freshman isn't quite as ready to play as as you know graduate transfers or you know division one transfers like we saw with those two guys obviously Jardine from from Utah Valley and Jean Marie from from the University of San Diego and then Juan Munoz the the guard on a Longwood who's a two-year starter you know he kind of replaces as an undersized combo guard who can score who can distribute kind of similar to what Justin Webster brought to the table right and so maybe it's a wash but the fact that Samuta Avea has to be included right as an addition 
off of last year's team. The fact that he has decided to come back after opting out last year, that makes it a net positive, I think, because what he brings to the table far eclipses what any of those three guys brought that lost, right? That's no disrespect to them, but, but he can be their best player. He can be their most versatile defender. He can be their most versatile offensive player, a guy who could lead the team in scoring, lead them in rebounding conceivably. And so that, that's the big addition, right? And, and the other guys are unknowns, as you mentioned. They're on paper. We, we know a little bit about the Division One transfers for sure, but Samuta Avea makes this a net positive in terms of the inflow and the outflow of talent, right? And this is a yearly thing, and we just got, went through a whole conversation on this. Now, if Drew Bugs does come back, <laughs> right, and maybe it didn't work out quite like he thought in Columbia, comes back, that, that's, that's a huge boost, right? Then all of a sudden you get two starters back from 2019. Yeah, that's, that'd be for sure net positive, no matter what else they bring in via the transfer portal or, or you know, high school signings. Uh, maybe as they fill out the roster. So, yeah, it's it's a little wait and see, but but I think Avea definitely pushes things over the top. I think the only thing that would be regrettable is the fact that if both Drew Bugs and Samuta Avea end up coming back, we know Samuta is, it just kind of leaves you wondering what could have been for this team this past season if Samuta didn't decide to opt out and if Drew Bugs, who is already the career assist leader at the University of Hawaii, decided not to transfer like they could have had a squad here it was a free year and I think we haven't heard that yet either from Samuta Avea the specific reason as to why he opted out of course it was within the rights of every player across the country to do so and they didn't have to explain themselves that said we haven't quite heard the full reason behind his decision to opt out when you think about the fact that that was a free year he could have just played a division one college basketball season and still had one year of eligibility left, which he is going to take advantage of here this coming season. So uh, those are still some questions that sort of linger out on the periphery. Uh, the guy I really kind of like is, and maybe he's more of a project because he's coming out of high school, but Brock Hefner seems to have a pretty versatile game. Six, seven, 215 pounds, can shoot the ball, can kind of put it on the deck. And he's a guy that maybe it's not next year immediately, but I think a few years down the line, uh, could be a big-time impact player, at least the way he plays the game, stylistically speaking. All right, elsewhere in Manoa, how about riding a bow cycle? Cole Kaler hit for the cycle in a Hawaii road win for the baseball program over UC Riverside this past weekend. UH took three of four from the Highlanders. It's the sixth time a UH player has hit for the cycle and the first since Neil Honma in 1996, a little blast from the past there. We've also seen a pair of no-hitters in the bigs already this season. And so it got me thinking, obviously we're talking college and pros here, but generally speaking, what would you regard as the more impressive feat? Hitting for the cycle, which is a pretty rare accomplishment compared to a no-hitter. My logic here is a little counterintuitive. Because the cycle is rarer, right? Whether it's Major League Baseball, I think probably at all levels of baseball. Just impressive from Cole Kaler. You know, almost a natural cycle. I think just one out of order or something like that. He also did it in five innings. (laughs) Yeah, that was was amazing. They kind of laid a a bit of a beatdown, did Hawaii in a couple of those games. Uh, And then you think the no-hitters, right? There have been more of them. And Carlos Rodon for the White Sox yesterday. Man, I I thought he was going to get it. You know, he was... How do you be disappointed with a no-hitter, but the dude was one out away from, from pitching a perfect game, and the only thing that was the blemish was a, a hit batter on a nasty slider in on, a, in on one of the, uh, the Cleveland hitters that hit him on the, on the foot. Just, just a, a bit of a disappointment, but he still got the, the no-hitter. Joe Musgrove from the Padres. To me, the no-hitter is still more impressive, even though it's more frequent 
Because when you go up to, to bat, right, you're trying to get a hit. You're trying to get a hit. You're not necessarily trying to cue one down the line for a triple. You're not trying to hit a home run on any given at bat, right? At least, you know, I, 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 would, I wouldn't imagine. I think, you know, you're trying to go up there and get a hit, and you kind of you happen to luck your way into having a single, a double, a triple, and a home run. Whereas a pitcher is going up there, and he's trying to retire every single batter. Like, there's not luck. There's luck involved. Don't get me wrong, right? There's hard hit balls that end up getting caught and, and things of that nature. But but you're, you're very intentional in what you're trying to do. You're very intentional in trying to retire every batter and try not to allow a hit to any batter. Whereas when you're hitting, I mean, it's it, there's there's a lot more luck involved in the accomplishment that is the cycle, as impressive as it is. So I, I, I still think the, the no-hitter is a little more impressive. Not to, not to hate on Cole Kaler's cycle or, you know, downplay anybody's cycle. It's still amazing. But if you had to ask me to choose, I'm going to go with the pitching feet over the hitting feet. It's always a bit uneasy talking about a cycle as it pertains to baseball, especially off of the steroid era. But anyway, I digress. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's a great breakdown. I think there is a certain intentionality when a pitcher is going through the process of approaching a perfect game like Rodon was, uh, which ended up being a no-hitter. And, and you're right, he pitched the exact pitch that he wanted to. He even said after the game, he said, I was looking for that uh, back foot breaking ball and it was right on the back foot unfortunately <laughs> uh it was exactly what he was trying to do but it did stand in the way of his perfect game so yeah I, I think the no hitter does require a greater amount of involvement on the part of the player in this case the pitcher that accomplishes it where there is a little bit more of a randomness to the cycle the other thing about the cycle and i've talked about this before as well as incredible an accomplishment as it is it doesn't necessarily represent the greatest day at the plate that you can have, right? I mean, you could go four for four, single, double, triple home run, and hit for the cycle, and that's great. But if you went double, double, triple home run, isn't that a better day at the plate, <laughs> yeah. even though it's not the cycle? And yeah. so there, there's a little bit too much of that gray area involved with the conversation around the accomplishment of the cycle. As incredible as it is, as rare as it is, uh, it doesn't really represent the the greatest day at the plate that you can have. And, yeah, the no-hitter doesn't either because you can have a perfect game, but it's pretty close. Like, it's pretty darn close uh, when you prevent anybody getting a hit off you. So, uh, yeah, I would go with the no-hitter for all of those reasons. All right, well, it's time for our Domino's Hawaii main topping. And we're talking with Rado Potapunov, two-time ABCA All-American for the University of Hawaii volleyball team. He has, as does the rest of this squad, intentions himself about hopefully going home with a national championship to cap his career but it is senior night this weekend as Hawaii plays host to a pair of matches against UC Irvine and so let's talk to Rado Parapunov here as he is closing in on the end of his illustrious Hawaii career. All right what's up Rado uh, I know you're going to be getting to practice here shortly so uh, we'll, we'll try to keep this somewhat tightened up here but uh Man, it's senior weekend, and I know that you guys got sort of granted an, an extra amount of time in your careers because of the abbreviated season last year, and you got more games to be played in that arena next week in the tournament, but uh, what does senior weekend being right around the corner for you feel like? Uh, it felt like time flies. <laughs> Actually, realizing from my first weekend that I was here in the Steph Sherry Center in 2017 to 2021 and just time flew i remember my first weekend here was like hendrick ian jennings and capono and it was just this huge celebration and i'm like okay guys like chill it's just you know <laughs> you graduate it's not a big deal and then 
my turn came and just realizing that I won't be able to wear a UH jersey anymore. It just kind of hits hard. But I'm most excited. I am happy that I came all the way out here and I'm happy with what the teams I've played on for the last five years have accomplished. Yeah, I mean, you guys very literally grew up together, this group that's going to be providing that symbolic aloha this weekend, right? With you. Wait, wait, wait. I came later. They've been here so long, 20 years. <laughs> I, I'm kind of on track. They've been here for so long. <laughs> well, that's why he is called Uncle Pat Gasman. And uh, yeah, Colton's been around uh, a little bit too. You're right. But it does seem like you guys are are legitimately, genuinely tight with one another. Like, this is really a, a family vibe. Is, is that accurate from what it looks like on the outside? 100%. 100% agree on it. I think that friendship is built on trust and experience. And we've been through a lot on and off the court. So we know what kind of people we are and how do we act in certain situations. And I think that build the trust and the relationship we have today. And I'm thankful that I'm going to share that moment with those people. I literally, like you said, I grew up around them. I saw today my freshman year pictures and seniors is like, oh my God. I'm like, who's that baby, you know? <laughs> that long hair I had, you know, just those cheeks and everything. It's just a, it was a fun experience for sure. Well, the arm swing was always there. You were always bringing the, the heavy heat from that opposite pin uh, since uh, I know your little kid days in the game. But uh, let's start kind of at, at the beginning while we have a little time here. When did you first get introduced to the game of volleyball? And when did it first become something that you felt, all right, I'm going to make this a significant part of my life? Yeah, uh, so I was – so my whole family has played volleyball club and uh, high school – so the, the game itself, it's a big part of my family, not professionally, just as an, uh, as an exercise and everybody enjoys it. I joined a club in Bulgaria, maybe I was eight or nine years old and became a significant part. I think when I was 15 or 16 years old, I realized, okay, that's what I want to do. And from there, my goal has always been towards my success on the court and of course, building me as a person of the court I think that's those two go hand 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 like on being a player and being a person and yeah since then everything has been towards me growing up kind of getting a more experience that a person in my position needs like I'm playing a position that is required to kind of be able to perform in any situation and I, that's when I realized, okay, coming to Hawaii here, getting a diploma and just for thankfully five years now of college experience just in a different country will be very beneficial for me and my career, especially at the end, receiving a diploma. So, yeah, I mean, it's been, what is it, about to be 24, last 15 years. Well, it was huge, more than half my life. Yeah, you mentioned starting to get serious about it, you know, at 15, 16. At that point, did you ever imagine that the game would take you halfway across the world to, to Hawaii? No, no. That situation came reality five months before coming to Hawaii. Uh, it was, I think it was around this time, April, May 2016, when Hawaii became part of 
part of the picture. What, what, what did you think it was going to be like? Did, has it lived up to that, whatever you had in your mind in those five months after you made the decision to, to come and play collegiately here? Has it, has it kind of matched what you envisioned way back when? Oh, no one can imagine what Hawaii truly is. I've imagined something, but when I came out, I realized it's way more. It's just so pretty. We, we watched Hawaii Five-0. Okay, that's how we got introduced to Hawaii, you know. Uh, and then I did some research, but when I got here, it's, just, it's, it's on a whole different level that you didn't expect exist. I mean, it, the nature is unreal. And then I had the chance to visit the other islands. And of course, I got introduced to the community and the people here. And I have never expected to be on such a high level. Was it Charlie that first touched base with you, that first communicated with you? And, and, and how did Hawaii get sold to you as, as a destination for your college career? No, actually, I contacted Milan. Milan is well-known coach in Europe, very well-respected. And everybody searched for his opinion in terms of future prospects or clubs and everything. And there was this guy who told me, hey, there's this Serbian coach. Of course, I knew about him. Let's contact him, see what he has to say about America. We contacted him. He said, you know, we should come to America. And my first initial was, I'm going to go to Hawaii because of him. Hmm. He will make sure that I'm on the level I need to be. And after that, I got introduced to Charlie. Charlie watched some video, and then he came actually to Bulgaria to watch me perform in our national championship. Unfortunately, we lost the semifinal. <laughs> it was a five-setter. I remember we watched it. We, we lost it. And then, yeah, it was, I think, out of dinner, he kind of sold, sold me to Hawaii. He added everything that I just – he answered every question I needed in terms of it how we practice here, what is the championship, how does it look like. And I was just like, you know what, I'm coming. I think that's the place for me. And yeah. Well, you mentioned Milan, Milan Zarkovic, who uh, has just been such a mainstay on that coaching staff. And I think it's going to be an indelible image long after you're done playing. The introduction before the matches where it was always, you know, as you ran through the player tunnel out of, out of the actual tunnel onto the floor and you would square up with Milan and you would do that sort of like gunshot motion and you would do some of the, the arm pointing and, and then the big bear hug, of course. So where did that originate from? And, and what does that sort of mean to you when, when Milan's sort of in the mix with all you guys uh, getting you ready for a game? It's just, uh, it's our thing. Mm, like... Kind of like getting ready for battle, you know, like how the Hawaiians do the It was like our thing. No disrespect, of course. It's just uh, getting all emotional because the way we are, where we're from, emotions are a big part of how we perform on the court and just like getting ready in the seat, yelling in our faces and just like shooting in the air and like those hugs and everything. It's just a way just to get ready. And just the fact that he's there to share with him is just a huge part. I mean, he hugs and has his own thing with every single player. So, yeah. It's just, I don't know even to describe it. I don't think my English is on that level. Maybe another five years and I'll be able to. 
with it, it's an amazing thing. It just gets you ready. It gets you hyped up. Yeah, I think the, the, the energy and the passion shines through, right? No matter what language you speak, just, just the, the, the language of that energy, uh, I think is undeniable. And, and you guys have always sort of played with that, whether it's from Milan or guys before you, and you guys have kept that going. But what, has it been more difficult to keep that level up with no fans in the stands? Has it, has it been, you know, what, what's that been for you guys? What's that been like for you guys? Um, definitely it is weird. I mean, the stand is just this massive place and you know, can say like just 10,000 empty seats around you, just fake boards. Everybody's like laughing. And then there's like this artificial crowd. It's a whole new experience. It's a little different, but I wouldn't say that makes such a big deal. I mean, on our club levels, we weren't that good. So we've kind of been used. Well, most of our careers, we even play with no fans. So when we got when I got here is when actually the fans kind of became part of it. It's just it's um it is the right thing to do right now. I mean, we're battling a pandemic, and sports is not the most important thing. And if that's the way we're gonna play the season, with no one in the gym, well, that that's fine by us. As long as everybody stays healthy and the season continues to go, we are fine with it. We just gotta get adjusted. At the end of the day, like. For every team, you just got to adjust to the new situation and environments. I mean, is it going to be a player who goes off or is it the fact that you used to play in front of 10,000 now there's no one, there's no time, there's no room for excuses because everybody's playing under the same conditions. Now, I think, I think that's really good perspective. And I know you guys have uh, some big goals you guys are trying to accomplish over the next few weeks, but... Uh, do you have plans beyond once you are through with this collegiate season? What What are your plans uh, for the future? So far, I know that I'm going to go home. I think it's time. I haven't been there since 2019, so that's my only goal. I haven't really thought about anything else. I'm trying to focus on the situation here and just graduating and finishing with smiles. Like I'm 100% dedicated to what's happening here. About my future, I haven't really thought about it. We're going to go home and see how it goes from there. Well, you'll definitely get some opportunities. There's no doubt about that. And, and the, the, the greatest way to end with smiles, obviously, for this group would be to uh, finish the deal and win a national championship. Uh, how have you tried to maintain perspective here over the course of this season, knowing that that's the ultimate goal? As quickly as this season has progressed and gone by, uh, without getting too caught up with the idea of, all right, we gotta, we want to accomplish this this massive goal, but we still have to go one step at a time. Well, that that when the preparation comes in, I mean, what you did over the pandemic on your own, I mean, everyone can do push up in the living room, right, or sit ups or anything. But the thing I think that will prepare us the most is, I've always said it when I've been asked, is about the respect we have towards our team and just studying them as much as we can. There is no team that we just say, oh, they're not on our level. No, we, we respect everyone. We give the respect they deserve. And then we make sure to play at the best we can against them. And I think that's why we've been successful through the years. It's just... The preparation we watch everyone constantly around us different the different conferences we know what's happening we know how they're playing different teams who's injured who's not who's on the court uh yeah we can just uh start preparing about team the day before it's 
it means a whole process. The whole year we've been focusing on the teams that we'll, we'll face. Have you heard of Yuval Kotz? Like, are you familiar with that name? Being a, a no. dominant lefty swinger <laughs> from the opposite side, it has been a natural comparison really since you arrived at UH. And he is sort of considered the, the gold standard uh, in, in this volleyball program. And now as we are approaching the conclusion of your college career, you know, a talk among us media folks is always, all right, where would Rado rank and all of that stuff? Uh, how cognizant of, of him, some of the past players, of all of that are you? Well, you say yourself, he's the gold standard. So, <laughs> and I think he'll be even when I have graduated. I mean, the, the guy was just, he was on a whole other level. Um, I mean, the, the rules were different that we played. I played under different rules, he played on different rules. And then the point scoring and the stats are just like whole new things. But in terms of physicality and dominance, I would say him over me for sure in any aspect of the game. I mean, you said it, he's the goal standard. So we're just maybe trying to get to second, third place, but that's it. Well, I think that's a great perspective. But, you know, he has been that gold standard from the outside looking in. But uh, obviously there is something to be said about what you have accomplished uh, in your career. And I think what's interesting is seeing your development over time, becoming a six rotation player. You're second on the team in digs, and it's not like you're just digging up some of the fluff free balls that are coming over the net. Like you're laying out, you're getting on the floor. How would you describe who you are, Rado Parapunov, now at this stage of your career? I think I came as a hitter, and now I'm more of a player, hmm. I would say. I came as just a person that can hit the ball. Uh, now it's just being trying to be as vo involved in everything as much as I can. I'm in a position that people look up to me, and then it's Patrick and Colton Gage, James Jackson. Uh, we've been here the longest, and people expect something from us. And that's it, being player and being able to perform in any, everything. Being defense, blocking, offense, serving, even cheering, even like everything. How much of that bond you mentioned of all those guys you just named uh, was the big reason you all decided to come back together, right, with, with the extra year after last year. But just, the, you know, the fact that you guys all, all decided to come back, not just a couple here or there, but, but the fact that all of you chose to, to return for one last run. I mean, just the fact that we love playing with each other, I think, is the biggest part of it. Uh, I don't think I would have stayed if they didn't. But I'm thankful they did <laughs> because... It's just, I've been here so much, and it would just be nice to finish it strong and together. Do you, ha do you have a favorite memory uh, of either that group, of, of your time? You know, not necessarily, you know, winning the Big West Tournament or anything like that. Uh, that may be the answer, but, uh, you know, is, is there just a favorite moment with the group of guys throughout your, your time there? Wow. Uh, well, as in terms of game, I would say not the not the conference championship, but the big BYU game. Hmm. I think that's when my class stepped on, stepped in more as the leaders and kind of showing that they can do the work. Because previous years, like we already said, Big West, there was more like Joe Stein, Dalton kind of moment. They were like the leaders. They took the heavy lifting. And now this year, that game was more us more of our thing and now the whole season falls on our shoulders and 
favorite memory. I mean, there's been a lot of funny situations that I would rather not say. <laughs> but definitely, yeah, with that game and then just... There's just jokes flying around on the court constantly about certain people not being able to do some stuff. Yeah, we just we just love playing with each other and just having fun. And yeah, we mentioned at the beginning of this, like the, the trust and the bond that we created. And just those small things that, you know, would happen. Is it true because, okay, you're 6'9", you're a lefty, you have a big arm. Uh, is it true that Mike Trapasso from the UH baseball team asked you, jokingly or otherwise, if you were ever interested in trying to take up baseball? No, no. <laughs> I've never been asked that. I still to this day, I don't understand baseball, so I uh, know. He has not asked me. <laughs> okay, I'm sure he but has if fantasized he asked about me, it. Yeah. If you asked me, I'd have tried. <laughs> oh, really? Would you have? Why not? You always got to try new things. Oh, okay. Well, um, he's, he's hearing this, uh, or when he does hear this, he's going to be like, oh, now he tells me. I think I can throw 110 miles. (laughs) 100 plus for sure. (laughs) I would believe it. I would believe it. Um, I'm not going to say it's going to be in the box, but you're going to be somewhere in the stadium. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What is your mentality now? Because I think what what separates you, what makes you as as special a player as you are regarded here uh, by the fan base is your ability to hit for such a high percentage out of system. Um, you know, that, that, is, that is something that is, is you know, so valuable and, and, and is, has become such a major weapon of yours when you do get that high ball set. Like, what are you thinking? What's going through your mind? Obviously, a lot of it is just, you know, instinct and, and reflex. But take us through that process of, of how you approach those moments. Well, that's definitely the first the, the experience. I mean, I'm not following this situation for the first time. I've been here five years, so I know most of the time how it works and what to expect. Then then is the player who's setting you, what kind of balls he usually sets. And then the third thing is, like, learning from players before you. Especially, I've learned a lot from Steinbar and T-Work. It comes down to out-of-system situation. Steinbar and T-Work has been the, the, the gold standard. I think that he's the gold, gold star out-of-system. Because he was able to be a dominant player of system on the right and on the left side of the court. And that's not just uh easy thing. I mean, he was homework on the right side, then he moves to the left, and he was homework again. He's a gold center. Yeah, that's a really good call there. Um, I think that we're going to have to just widen the category of gold standards and include uh, a few more names in that uh, in that division for sure. Oh, I have so many people and so many uh, categories, gold standards. <laughs> Patrick Gasmo made a blocking, the blocking itself. He's the gold standard. He gets first, second, and third place in my eyes. Well, that's what Colton said. He, Colton the other day said that, you know, I feel like I'm lining up with three players who are the best in the country at their respective positions. He was talking about you, Pat, was talking about Gage, uh, and he's probably not too far off base. I mean, that's, I think that's a pretty accurate assessment based on what we've seen here. I think that he maybe has been one of the most underappreciated players on our team regarding the All-American consideration. I mean, 
the guy has shut down literally every person in the country. I don't know why he's not being considered the best. In my eyes, he's the best. Yeah, I've seen the last two uh, seasons here, especially against Long Beach, the second, uh, second night, second set. The whole gym knows where the ball goes, and he still dominantly kills it. So, I mean, and the score is 30-30, by the way. <laughs> you know, that's the other thing. The guy, is the, the guy is a beast, and it's just when you have him on the court, it's easy. The hard part with goals is when he's not on the court. You know, he's not there all the time. <laughs> he's half the time on the court, so that's uh, when he's off is is the tricky part. Do you foresee any emotion coming out on on senior night? It's gonna be a different vibe, right? There's not gonna be people in the crowd. It's gonna be sort of a different atmosphere. But are are you the kind that's expecting maybe some of that emotion to to overflow? Mm, I don't think so. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Definitely going to be a lot of emotion. I don't think. I just think that we're not going to show them that much. I think my class is just a bunch of emotionless people. <laughs> Unfinished business. That's why, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. All right. And the very last question. Yeah, yeah. What is the thing you're going to miss the most about living in Hawaii outside of the game of volleyball uh, when you move on here, wherever your life takes you? The people. I met some incredible people that learned me a lot and definitely shaped me to the person I am today. So definitely the people. Well, it's been awesome seeing you do your thing, man. And we wish you the best of luck. Thank you, guys. We'll, we'll be uh, seeing all those smiles at the end of the season and perhaps even hoisting that hardware, man. Thanks uh, and, and congratulations Thank on a great career. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, big thanks to Rado Parapunov. Always a pleasure uh, talking with him. And uh, he will be missed, man, just not only for his incredible volleyball play, but also uh, his personality. Uh, he has represented this place and this program very well. So best of luck to him, as mentioned. All right, time for our post game. And before we get to the best and worst, we have a post game topic here because we wanted to slide this in at some point. I don't know if you heard about this yet, Jordan, but Kevin James, right, of King of Queens and uh, has several movies as well. Paul Blart, Mall Cop being one of them. Uh, he's been tabbed to play Sean Payton, head coach for the New Orleans Saints, in a movie called Home Team. It's an upcoming film about the 2012 suspension year when Payton was relegated to coaching his son's youth football team. All right, so it just got me thinking, wanted to get your thoughts on the casting here. Kevin James. Uh, it is a film being put together by Happy Madison Productions, which is Adam Sandler's production company. And so it sounds as though there will be a comedic tilt to it. Uh, your thoughts on the casting of Kevin James as Sean Payton. And then the final verdict, are you watching this film? Like, is this something that, that piqued your interest? Yeah, I, I kind of get the premise. I, when I think of Sean Payton, I don't think of warm and humorous. When you think of Sean Payton and the whole Bounty Gate scandal, you don't think of comedy. But, you know, leave it to the folks at Happy Madison. And, and obviously, Adam Sandler and Kevin James have, are, are very intertwined when it comes mm -hmm. to their professional careers. Uh, and so if, I guess if it's a, a, a lighthearted, maybe child, I don't know, is it, a dark, is it a more adult comedy like we've seen at times? Is it a, is it a little more children friendly like you know is, is it a is it a not saying that kevin james isn't capable of a dramatic role but i i think more dramatic when i think sean payton as opposed to you know but maybe this is the other side of sean payton we didn't get to see because he was out coaching his son's team and things of that nature so yeah i don't know it's it's, it's a weird premise for a movie that's more my hang-up as opposed to kevin james playing I mean, he's a funny guy right he, he, it's well documented his career and 
And, uh, you know, he can provide a bit of the physical humor as well. But, yeah, I don't, I just the, the whole premise of the movie just seems odd to me. I was about to say, Kevin James is a little bit more of a physical comedy actor as well. Yeah. So, I mean, you would imagine that would be something you would expect uh, whenever he's cast in a lead role like this. The story behind this film and the, the way this thing was, was set in motion is actually pretty interesting. Apparently, Sean Payton's daughter is dating Adam Sandler's brother-in-law. And he was the one that pitched the idea to Adam Sandler. And so that's why Happy Madison Productions is, is uh, deciding to go forward with this project. Uh, yeah, I, I would think that, all right, it's going it's to be obviously a, a comedy-leaning type of film. If it were more serious, say they were to take a more serious approach to it, do you have any other actors in mind that you think would be good to play the role of Sean Payton? Oh, good question. I don't know. Yeah, because he, he's, I don't, again, I don't, does, is he cracking jokes? I don't, I mean, he's, he's got, you know, the, the press conference thing, but he's not really, well, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll get like Willem Dafoe to play him or something, you know, <laughs> somebody, somebody with a good serious face. Yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis. That would, that would mean that we were getting as serious and dark as possible if we had uh, Daniel Day-Lewis uh, deciding to <laughs> method act his way through this Sean Payton uh, biopic. By the way, uh, Tobey Maguire as Drew Brees. I think we're all in agreement for that. There we go. Do you, do you think, so quick, quick addition here. Do you think if Daniel Day-Lewis got into full character acting mode, a team could hire him and replicate Sean Payton's play calling ability? But it's Daniel Day-Lewis as Sean Payton. Do you think, do you think there's something to that? 100%. And in fact, there is no overt evidence to suggest that that isn't what is already happening with regards to Sean Payton. Like this could have been a Daniel Day-Lewis performance this entire time. All the simulation. Ah, uh, think about it. All right, time now for our best and worst. Brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui's premier full-service refuse company, offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial, construction, and residential use. Family-owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit wasteprohawaii.com for services information. All right, what is your best, Jordan Helley? Yeah, my best, uh, the Atlantic League, the independent league, uh, independent baseball league that partners with Major League Baseball, that's where they kind of go and they test out their uh, experimental rules. The other year, what was it? The uh, the uh, robot umps, the computerized strike zone. I think they tested some of the extra runner on second base uh, to begin extra innings and see how it work on the professional, you know, baseball level. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna test out a couple of different things. I don't love all of them, but I I do applaud Major League Baseball trying to at least look at changing the game. Right? There are a lot of old timers. There are a lot of traditionalists that would just balk at any sort of change. Um, but they got to do something. Like, it is so hard to hit a baseball right now because pitching is so good. I think the, the last three years combined or something are, like, the lowest batting average since, like, 1876. I mean, it's, like, historic, historic ineptitude at the plate. And I think a lot of it has to do with just how good pitching is. And, and you know, so they're going to move the mound back a foot to 61 feet, 6 inches, uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, I don't know. Um, but the one rule that I do like is the, uh, the double hook, as they're calling it. I don't know who came up with this, but I only heard of this the first time uh, the other day. But basically, universal DH, but you lose your designated hitter when you pull your starter. And so instead of having openers out there, instead of Blake Snell getting pulled, you know, while he's shutting down the Dodgers and 
game six of the World Series. Uh, once you pull your guy, you lose your DH, and all the pitchers got to hit for themselves. You got to pinch hit every time, right? Sort of National League style. Uh, and I kind of like that rule. I think it encourages uh, starting pitchers to stay in there longer, a little less specialization. Maybe that it, it leads to a little more offense. I'd, I'd kind of be on board with that, but I'm curious to see how it all works. At least they're trying. They're trying something. Maybe nothing comes up with it, comes of comes of it. But you know, try a little something. I can almost hear Pal Eldridge vomiting. Uh, yeah, and just the idea yeah. of some of these rules. You're right. I like, I like the idea of, of trying new things and just seeing what may work because, yeah, I think there are some demographic uh, trends that are concerning for baseball from a van, uh, fan viewership standpoint. So, yeah, it behooves them to try something different. To your point about how hard it is to hit against major league pitching, uh, here's a little nugget for you. In the opening week of the 2014 season, only one pitch was clocked at 100 miles per hour was by Carlos Martinez of the Cardinals. So you fast forward seven years, uh, and all of this research and development that has been done to increase velocity, and there were a record 84 100-mile-per-hour pitches thrown by a record 13 pitchers in the first week of this 2021 season so uh yeah that gives you a bit of an idea of just how much of an explosion there has been of hard throwing fireball type of pitchers in major league baseball all right i'm going to stay on the baseball tip and my best is freddie freeman so he hit a home run versus the phillies on the road last friday a young philly fan joshua scott watching the game with his dad narrowly missed catching the ball which ended up in the bullpen and after several tries they were trying to toss him the ball he finally got it back uh, but then he did the unexpected he got the baseball that he almost caught and then he turned and presented the ball to a young Braves fan who was wearing a Freeman jersey so seeing this in response two days later Joshua and his dad were brought down to the field. They met Freddie Freeman face-to-face, -face, who then presented him with a ball autographed by not just Freeman, but also Philadelphia's Bryce Harper. So, uh, hey, hats off to Freddie Freeman. That was a cool move and a really, really cool move by that young fan, Joshua Scott. Yeah, it just shows you, man. Kids, kids are the best of us. The adults ruin things in sports, <laughs> really kind of in life. The kids, yeah. the, kids are, the kids are the ones that we should be listening to. That's awesome. That's awesome right. to everybody involved. Absolutely, yeah, uh, 100%. So that's, that's why the kids are in our best categories. Now let's get to our worst. What do you got? Yeah, our worst. Our worst. Mine's because LaMarcus Aldridge I woke up this morning and, and saw that he had retired. And, and then not just that, but, but for the reason, right, uh, medical reasons. He had a regular heartbeat just recently. And, you know, I was basically saying it's not worth it to, to try and play through it, right? We've seen guys – you know, I think of Chris Bosch, right, who, who basically wouldn't get cleared by doctors because of his blood clots. Um, and it's just, it's just such a bummer that these guys, you know, who, who terrific talents and, and, and had to, you know, give, give things up a little bit sooner than they wanted. And I don't love that he signed with the Nets and the, the super team that they've built. But, you know, I, don't, I didn't want to see him end his career that way. And, and of course, just, just brings back uh, personal selfish bad memories of, of that fateful draft night when the Bulls drafted him and then immediately traded him away for Tyrus Thomas. And it's kind of been downhill since then. So, so yeah, that, uh, an excuse for me to still vent, I don't know, what is this 17 years later or something like that? Whatever, 14 years later, however long he's been in the league, but, but yeah, bummer. LaMarcus Aldridge, what a career he's had Portland, San Antonio and uh, short lived there in Brooklyn, but yeah, tough one. 
spent some time with the Spurs, as you said. So, uh, yeah, I got a lot of love for LaMarcus. And, uh, yeah, we wish him the best. And sometimes you got to make a decision uh, that is beyond basketball, right? Something that is more in the best interest of yourself and your family. So uh, we wish him the best. All right, my worst, uh, we'll go to one of his teammates, uh, Kevin Durant. And that's it. That's my worst, just Kevin Durant. I mean, you pick it, all right? On a day where your worst is this pretty awful scenario presented to LaMarcus Aldridge where an irregular heartbeat and the fear that came out of his experience with it in his last game played caused him to retire. You have Kevin Durant, who was standing on the sideline of one of the premier games on national television uh, when the Nets played the Sixers for the reason that was rest. Whereas you had LaMarcus Aldridge, who was categorized as a non-COVID illness, right? Something that intimates something more serious. You had Kevin Durant, who was just resting. And then, you know, you pick whatever it is. Is it, is it, is it his beef with Michael Rappaport? His uh, Twitter beef with Shannon Sharp? Um, I mean, just, just you name it. It's just, it's just Kevin Durant in general, who is just becoming more and more insufferable. He is still addicted to social media and still responds to everything on social media. And it's like, why are you doing this? Uh, while he's standing on the sideline, the chant of KD sucks started to echo through the arena. Philly fans being Philly fans, letting them have it and, and sort of providing uh, yet another uh, indication of where the temperature stands with regard to KD. But uh, if you get booed in Philly, it actually probably is uh, something that you should take pride in because that means that you're a pretty darn good player, which is undeniable. But KD, the persona, that's my worst. Yeah, they don't boo the scrubs. That's for sure. They don't waste their time on that. They don't waste their breath in Philadelphia. You got to be, you got to be worthwhile for them to spend a bit of that energy on them. But yeah, I just, he just can't seem to get out of his own way. And maybe he doesn't care, right? I think at this point, you know, it's kind of all out there in the open. But, yeah, it's just it's a little tough. It's a little tough for me, too. At times, he seems so joyless. I think that's, that's a difficult thing to comprehend. And, and, yeah, you know, life isn't always easy for these millionaire basketball players. I'm not trying to say that it is. But uh, he's done pretty well for himself and for his family and um, you know, he was at one time a pretty beloved player before he started putting on the black hat, if you will. And, uh, you know, the other thing that he said that I didn't mention yet was he was in an interview suggesting that, you know, he, he wants to just be the best basketball player that he can be, which is commendable. But then he said, you know, I'm not going to play for, for trophies and rings, which is this human made and human designed goal. And I'm like, you know, the game of basketball is also made by humans. I just wanted to let you know about it, that. So this whole endeavor, this whole thing, this whole mechanism you're involved with was a man-made thing. So uh, when you're trying to succeed within it, uh, that means that you are trying to succeed within uh, something that uh, I guess he's trying to suggest is very arbitrary in nature. Even hanging out with Kyrie a lot, huh? <laughs> Makes sense. I mean, it makes sense. But you need to get him with, like, Rado. Rado's so – he's so full of joy yeah. in life, you know? We need, we need to get these guys around the volleyball team at UH. Bring, bring the fun back into sports. A little Potapunov perspective. Yes. Yeah. Say that five times fast. I, I think that would uh, definitely help KD. All right, that's our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii Maui. Owned Maui, operated for Maui's people. Thanks once again to Rado Potapunov for joining us. Hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helly or at TalkSports808. Jordan, have a good weekend, man. Have a good one, man.